0: Okay, come on in. Um, Hey, if you have a Bible, why don't you open with me to Jonah chapter 1. I know we read it last week, but we're going to read parts again today, which is wonderful. So Jonah chapter 1, the plan, and we did this last week. We began a teaching series through this epic, poetic book of satire and humor on the life of Jonah, and we're going to read a little bit and dive into chapter 1. Um, I hate doing this like in the sense of, hey, you should go back and listen, but if you missed last week, we took a little bit of time to set up the story of Jonah for us for like these next four teachings, and it's actually really important because Jonah's a a book in the scriptures that most of us um, have drawn our understanding from like children's books, um, which don't tell the theme actually oftentimes in which the writer is trying to communicate with us what Jonah is actually about. Again, it's very linear, and it's a teaching for children. Oftentimes, we think of Jonah as just like, okay, this guy, this prophet, kind of went the other direction, was given a second chance. He preaches to the people, and everything turns out great. And that is actually not the theme of Jonah. Um, Jonah is a bad dude who, at the end of the short story, is standing or sitting, sorry, under a plant, wishing that God had actually not saved an entire city, He's actually wishing that God would hate his enemies like he does. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take time. And again, I don't want to kind of reteach everything from last week. But Jonah is in the canon of the Old Testament for Israel as a mirror to remind them of their waywardness as the people of God and how they veer from God and his ways. And so what we're doing is we're trying to take the same type of interpretation, What we're trying to do is pick it up for us now and go, okay, we are the people of God in this moment, the church in our moment here in our city as Praxis Church, and have it kind of reveal to us as a mirror um, our own waywardness. And with that comes um, some tough conversations, and this is why we're doing this around round tables, is because we actually really want to get real about the church in our moment. And you're like, are you like relaying the church to Jonah? That's why it's in the canon. Israel would have read this, not as a reminder as much about individual waywardness, as much as it is the corporate community and how they have been continually unfaithful to Yahweh. And that's not an easy message, so I just want to preface before we read a little bit and get into to kind of the layers of it, not to depress you, please don't be depressed, welcome to church, it's good you're here, but at the same time, I think I said this last week, there is so much freaking church talk everywhere. Everybody I run into wants to talk about the church post-COVID, people are leaving the church. Fair enough. Those conversations are fine. What we don't want to do is we don't, uh, in those conversations, want to put a mirror up in front of us and kind of look into the mirror in our own stuff. You know what I'm saying? And this is actually what Jonah does. So um, we taught through this 10 years ago. I taught through this a long time ago. And I actually have taken more of a a different bent in interpretation because I actually think it's actually quite, it's more confrontational than we think. And this is coming from a guy who's not very confrontational. But it does kind of confront us in our moment as the people of God and draw us back towards faithfulness to Yahweh. So with all that said, um, what we're reading here is satire. Yes, I said this last week, the boring old Bible, that's what most people think, is actually laced with satire and humor. The characters in the story do exactly the opposite of what you think they should do. The prophet of God is actually like total horrible human in how he approaches these people. The sailors who are like pagan, we're going to learn here, the sailors who are like pagan kind of, um, in a sense... Worshipping the guys who would worship the pantheon of gods are actually the one that have to kind of reveal to Jonah what's going on. The great city of Nineveh, which was like barbaric in its moments, is actually the ones that turn to God, and yet the prophet misses it. The one on the inside actually doesn't catch it. What we're going to see in chapter 1 is a, 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 severe self, uh, a severe lack of self-awareness within Jonah as he tries to run from Yahweh. And so, you ready? (laughs) I'm a positive person by nature, but actually I think this is, this book is better than ever for us in our moment. So let's read a little bit of it, and I'm going to find it here. I know we read it in our um, groups last week, but let's read it again. Once I find it, let's go iPad. Here we go. Okay, chapter one, verse one says this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now what's fascinating here is the laugh track would already be going because if you know anything about Jonah, his name is Dove. Um, One of the pictures we get actually of his particular name is that he is uh, the son of uh, peace or son of truth. Other people have translated his name son of faithfulness. And so even in the first verse, it's like the writer is trying to, like, just get us to see the irony that literally embedded in this guy's name is faithfulness. And what does he do? It Go exact, goes exactly the, the, the other direction. Verse 3, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for a port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. And all the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. So again, just pantheon here of God, I, I, kind of idol worship and, and God worship. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and he fell into a deep sleep. Now, the writer here is not just writing about, like, uh, something physical. There is metaphor. There is meaning attached to this. The storm is coming. Jonah is on the run. We'll learn in a second that he's actually headed 2,500 miles away from where he should be going. He should be going to what is known as modern-day Iraq. He is on a boat to Spain, right? And yet the irony here is that he's asleep. And one of the things Jonah does And what it would have done in Israel's moment, it would have called into question their slumber, their spiritual apathy. Uh, Remember, this whole story is tied in to the reality that God calls a guy named Abraham, and the the call on him and his people and his line that would come is that they would be a blessing. Even deeper, one, one prof I had says that the better picture we get is that through this community of people, Abraham and his line, they would receive the blessing, which is, Sunday school <laughs> answer, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus. That way back, the, 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 the scene is being set for these people to display God's love and light to the world so that they would receive it. And here we have the prophet. And remember, the story of Jonah is the only story in the Old Testament scriptures where it's not about the words of the prophet, but the prophet himself. Something's happening here. Jonah is asleep. So the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lots fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, Who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? I laugh at this because as a pastor, people ask you what kind of work you do, and it's always kind of like, you know, just a little, you know, conversation started there. It's good. Then tell them you're a therapist, and that's even. I thought it was weird telling people you're a pastor, and then do the whole therapist thing. It doesn't leave you. Anyways, where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And this terrified them, and they said, "'What have you done?' The sea was getting rougher and rougher, and they asked him, "'What should we do uh, to you to make the sea calm us down?' "'Pick me up and throw me into the sea,' he replied, "'and it will be uh, become calm.'" I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before, and they cried, isn't it interesting, the pagan sailors, then they, the pagan sailors, cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah, and they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Crazy. Upside-down story. Please, let's, again, distill down and kind of walk away from such a kind of a linear kind of children's book reading of this. There are all sorts of parts going on. One of the things that's really fascinating is when you read it in Hebrew... When you read this in Hebrew, and I don't, I'm not great with Hebrew, but is you see cadence and rhythm. So actually, when you open up the Bible in Genesis 1, you see a cadence and rhythm over and over. Uh, the Hebrew writer is telling us that it is good. Like, over, you feel it. It's not just like some placid reading of the text. The writer of Genesis wants us to feel it as we read it, that it's good. It's good. God's creation is good and good and good, and it is very good. And it's kind of the same here in Jonah chapter 1. It's kind of modeling that. What's happening to Jonah? He's going down, baby. And over and over, like five times, I think, in this, in this chapter, you, it's, he's going down. He goes down to Joppa. What does he do? He goes down into the boat. He goes down into the sea. He goes down into the belly of the fish. Oh, you know, I thought the Bible was just kind of like these just kind of mixed together kind of writings. Oh, no, ladies and gentlemen. There is fingerprints all over this that are poetic and that are trying to get us, just like Genesis 1. This is trying to get us to see something. You feel it? Jonah is going down. He's running from his call. The writer wants us to feel it here that as the people of God would pick this up and read this, is they would feel it in their bones that we have this tendency to go our own direction, to run, to go our own way. And it's pretty clear here. There's all sorts of layers, even in the original language as far as what's happening in Jonah 1. But there's just a few things I want to drill into, and then we'll take a minute and talk about them. If few think Jonah is running away from, one, from his calling and his mission. Guys, his name literally means son of faithfulness. And think about it. If you're a prophet in Israel, there are few, amongst all that's going on in that nation, there are few moments in times where as a prophet you would have your moment, right? Think about it. This this is Jonah's moment as a prophet of God for the Hebrew people to take this message and do what he's told to do. This is like your day. It's like, I don't know, it's like a hockey player sitting on the bench or a basketball player sitting on the bench, game in and game out, waiting for their moment in their time and not stepping in to the moment in their time. And this is for Jonah, what happens? This is Jonah's day and he runs from his mission son of faithfulness, son of truth, literally on his life his name means son of truth and he is now running from that calling and mission. And so one of the things that Israel would be confronted with is how's this thing going? And I think we would be confronted with the same thing a couple millennia later, a few millennia later. Like how how's our mission and our calling in the world going? Um, It's not really rocket science. It's not confusing. Jesus distilled down our mission now post his teaching and post the cross. It's very, very simple. To love God with everything that we are, our entire being, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love our neighbors as ourselves. What does Jonah have to say? Like, why reteach this? Especially why reteach this in the framework of Us as a community being Jonah. And I don't just mean practice, I mean the church. Because it's been so easy, and we've seen this the last few years, just to drift from the very thing that we're called to. Politics has taken over. Agenda, church talk, and again, some of it's necessary and good, but what about this mission? What about the mission at hand to simply love God and love our neighbors? The call actually in Acts is that we are to bear witness Jesus would use the language that we would call people to repentance, to repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, to bear witness. What do witnesses do? It's really simple, right? Think about, I mean, I know we just had the Johnny Depp Amber Heard moment, but what do you do as a witness? You see something, you experience something, and then you embody that experience in sharing it. It's it's, it's that simple. As we've talked about hospitality and evangelism in our moment it's really not rocket science it's about seeing and encountering the living christ and then moving into space where it comes out of our lives the word of the lord came to jonah son of minutai go to the great city of nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness had come up before me the same call jonah go our call To repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And just think about our moment, just like Jonah, how much running and wandering we're caught up in to actually drift away from the, the main thing being the main thing, loving God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. And so there's this clear, like, this is Jonah's moment, and he runs the other direction. So he runs from his mission and calling, but he also runs, and this is very easy for us, He runs from danger to comfort. So it says, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. I think we unpacked this last week. Um, Nineveh was not a great place in the ancient world. It was known by its enemies as a very kind of vile and wicked place. Tarshish, on the other hand, as we said a couple weeks ago or last week, uh, was filled with like monkeys and apes and peacocks. It was like this land flowing with milk and honey in modern day Spain. Literally 2,500 miles kind of separating the two spaces. And you know the question is where. would you go the Middle East, right, in the desert, or would you go to Spain? Who's coming to Spain with me? Anybody? Not, not as much judgment on Jonah. But there is this, there is a picture of the tendency in us to kind of run to comfort. And, I mean, you just have to pick up a book about the first century church, And our brothers and sisters in a long line of people around the world to realize that this is not like some comfortable call. Yes, we're sweating under our arms here because the heat or the cool is not working for some reason this morning. But think about the long line of people in our history as brothers and sisters who, you know, there's been more people martyred in the last hundred years for the way of Jesus than every generation that's gone before it. And so Jonah runs the other direction. I love how Eugene Peterson says, our vocation is to live out the implications of the word of God in community. And he says, not sailing off into the exotic seas in search of fame and fortune. And we just gotta wrestle with the fact that it's easy to run. It's easy to run to places of comfort. And the Jesus way is the cruciform life. That legit Jesus puts before us the call to pick up our cross and follow him daily. And this is the funny thing about kind of like the moment we've seen the last couple of decades with uh, kind of the megachurch and like kind of the attractional church is the very call of Jesus is kind of the opposite to that in the sense of like the hard life that he actually calls us into. The cruciform, crucified type of life um, where we come from a line of brothers and sisters who gave their lives for the way of Jesus and were not at times deterred by death. And this is actually the thing that took this little sect of Christians who nobody know, knew what to do with in the first, you know, the first century, especially the early church, because it kind of came out of Judaism and there's this Messiah who has claimed that he is risen. And, but part of it was they weren't afraid to die. They weren't afraid to die. And... I look at Jonah and I look at the mirroring of my own life and my own desire for comfort and realize that this is not as much about comfort, that Jonah's actually running from danger to comfort. So he's running from his mission. He's running from this call on his life. He's running to comfort. And then you see it here actually in verse 3, and then we'll take a few minutes to talk about this because your voice is just as important as mine. Um, You see it. Jonah ran from the presence of God. It actually says in verse 3, the second part of verse 3, after paying his fare, he went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish. And, you, you know, the writer could have just said he just sailed to Tarshish. But it's interesting. It says to flee from the Lord. Just think about that. Um, and I think as a prophet of Israel, Jonah would have understood, like, pretty simple truth. God is everywhere. But fascinating that the writer wants to point out that, legit, Jonah is not just running from his calling. He is running from the presence of God. From the presence of God to the belly of a fish. And this should be, you know, something we need to wrestle through as the church in our moment as we pick this up. And we put the mirror up as us being Jonah. There will always be for us a boat that helps us run from God. Jonah experienced it. And what he's ultimately trying to escape is uh, the presence of God. And I just think we need to just maybe this is the one thing this morning, even as we take a couple minutes just to chat with each other, is to wrestle through. Is just how in our moment we have the church, and this is beautiful. But oftentimes, it's easy to actually run from the power. We can do church stuff. We can gather on Sundays, but we can actually miss out on, like, the power and presence of God. I was with our church baseball team, like, a year ago, um, uh, and it was funny. I heard from a distance a guy talking, you know, church baseball kind of banter on the other team was talking about um, the camp that I grew up in. And he was with a group of people, and I just heard from a distance, he was kind of like making fun of the camp that I grew up in, Um, a fairly charismatic camp, and um, kind of making fun of some of the things that went on at that camp. And listen, some of that needs to be critiqued. You know me, I know, listen, we could sit around all day and critique that stuff, absolutely, Mark's smiling. Stop smiling, Mark, stop smiling, okay? Um, For sure. But you know, as this guy was kind of going on, I got thinking, What's better for us? Like, is, it, is a neutered church experience with no emphasis on the Holy Spirit better than maybe even some of the dangers we've seen on the other side? Now, I think we need to critique those things. You hear me? You hear what I'm saying? But is our, like, vanilla type of church experiences where oftentimes there's little room... I, I love you, right? I love you, but little room at times for any display of power or the presence of God. You know, it's kind of turned into a show or a well-organized teaching and music event. We've settled at times for talking about church but not actually experiencing the presence of God together. And this is not a practice thing. This is just in general in the West. You know, sometimes we kind of poke fun at certain experiences, but I just wonder, is that, do what we have in our moment at times, is it any better? You know, we've, we've settled for I know I have, learning about prayer or talking about prayer than actually praying or learning about the spiritual disciplines or talking about the spiritual disciplines without actually doing them. And listen, I know this is a hard teaching. You know me. I love you very much. But Jonah is running from the presence of God. And I think it should be a warning. This is the, these prophetic books, this is what it wants to do for us. It kind of wants to warn us a bit that we could do the church thing, we can do like, hey, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus thing, and yet still be kind of running the other direction. Are you with me? Sometimes in our moment, what we need is we need to just be reminded of our tendency, how we are prone in our bones to go the other way. And so there's lots of questions with that because I don't even fully know what that looks like. I just thought it's funny. It's easy to critique. It's easy to kind of poke fun. But do we really... Do we really want the presence of God moving and working among us? And this is not like law teaching, this is not like some burden over us, a burden over burden over us. In a sense what we want to do this morning is cultivate a space just like the Old Testament prophets to help draw our attention, our imaginations maybe to something more beautiful and better than what we've experienced. Are you with me? Maybe not. Are you out there? This is a tough teaching. But this is, I think, why Jonah is in the canon. So, Jonah ran from his calling and mission. He ran from danger to comfort. And he ran from the presence of God. And here we pick it up, and we see that Jonah is going down and down and down. What's fascinating is the characters in the story who should not have got it actually, in a sense, turn to Yahweh and pray. The prophet is asleep in the bottom of the boat. And it's these pagan sailors that are the ones that, one, see Jonah as somewhat as a prophet of God, somewhat responsible because of the God of the Bible, because of Yahweh and what's at hand. And then they turn to him and they pray. And so my prayer for us this morning, my, myself, by the way, when we, use, when we talk like about difficult things. You notice that I use the language we, not you. I listen to a lot of preacher dudes and it's like you, you, and it's the first thing I am very clear about is this is me more than anybody in this room. My propensity to to wander, but my prayer for this morning would just be, God, awaken us. Awaken us in our conversation, in our worship, as we grab coffee and have conversations, awaken us to your spirit. Awaken us to this mission that you've called us to become. Awaken us to the reality that we are these people that live by the Jesus Creed to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. God, awaken us. God, awaken us. With that said, what do you think? What do you think? Take a few minutes. We're going to come to the table in a second, but really what we want to do is create some space here, like For some of us, our our imaginations are opening because we've just thought of like Jonah as like the guy who just went to Nineveh and preached, and boom, they turned to Jesus, and let's go home. Back in my day, it was like, let's go to Swish LA, because that's where we all went, right? Um, But maybe there's actually something deeper going on here, and so the the one question is, what do you think? What's stirring in you um, as we look at Jonah's story? Take a couple minutes, turn around, say hi, and we'll come to the tables in a second, okay?